There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on Friday the 12th of February 2010. As always, I suggest to the newcomers, and sure there are newcomers coming in all the time, to look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com websites. Scroll down, bookmark all the other sites you see that I have up there. These are the official sites. And bookmark them for future use. That way, when the big ones stop me uploading, which they do once in a while, while they sort out their strange technical problems, you can always get the latest shows for download. And it's a good idea, too, to try these alternate sites sometimes. If you find there's a sticking on download, it's generally because everyone goes into the com. There's too many going into the com at the same time. So there's cuttingthroughthematrix.com, there's .nets, .ca, there's alanwattcuttingthroughthematrix.ca, there's cuttingthrough.jenkness.com, and there's alanwattsentinel.eu. Now, the last one is the European site. It has all the same audios for download, but it's got the addition of transcripts for prints up of a lot of the talks I've given in the past, and you can choose from a variety of languages from all over the world. And the tin can moment, it's a tin can moment. I don't give you many all through the show. It's just one at the start, so I'm different from everybody else. That stops you from... Uh, uh, getting upset, but it also unfortunately helps you forget by the end of the show. But it's up to you to keep me going because I'm probably the only person out there who's not backed by a foundation, uh, as you can tell by my website, and I'm not backed by any big corporation uh, to sell their products. I don't uh, get money from advertisers. That's how most ho- hosts rake in their cash. They bring them on as guests. They're backed by them, and they push their whatever they sell. The ads you hear on this show are paid directly by the advertisers to RBN to broadcast the show, to pay for their, uh, the, the airtime, to pay for their satellite upload and all the rest of it, broadcasting, and their staff and their bills. We all get the bills coming in. So it's up to you to keep me going, and you can do so by buying the books I have for sale and the discs I have for sale on my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, or you can donate to me. Now remember, personal checks are good from the U.S. to Canada. From the U.S. to Canada, you can also use international postal money orders. That's one with a pinkish border at the top. Don't come out with the green one. That's internal U.S. only. So you want the international postal money order. You can get that at your post office if you don't like going through the banks. You can also use MoneyGram, Western Union, or cash. Some people also... Uh, order through PayPal, which you can also donate through. If you want to order something through PayPal, just give me a separate email along with the payment from PayPal, and I'll get whatever it is you want out to you. Outside the Americas, same deal. A lot of people across the world use Western Union, MoneyGram, or Cash, or PayPal. Uh, So you've got a big choice there. 
and how it gets to me. Those who get the discs burned and passed to them because they don't like using computers, but they play them on their CD players, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, W-A-T-T, Site 41, Box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P, as in Peter, 3, E, as in Elizabeth, 4, N, as in Nora, 1, P, 3, E, 4, N, 1. And people should be really careful with those postal codes because they're so sticky now. Just one letter out or a number out, and they're, they get thrown into a frenzy uh, of absolute uh, dumbness. They don't know what to do about it, even if the rest of the address is there. And they know where uh, Austere is and Ontario is. My God, they just can't move the post through. It's astonishing. We'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix. A lot of young people email me every other day, someone else with uh, so many questions, because, and it's quite understandable naturally because they've gone through the intense indoctrination, socialization, they call it the school process. They're getting trained to be social creatures under scientific guidance, supposedly, and yet... Um, I think a lot of the students know that there's just something wrong with everything. They can't really pinpoint any exact thing, just sort of everything. And that's the that's generally the first thing that you experience when you're waking up to this world that you've been trained to see in a certain way uh, with all of its media and its educational system. Uh, you, you just know there's something wrong about it. And uh, you see the natural injustices children see natural injustices so quickly and easily, but what they can't tell are the the various reasons for those injustices. Therefore, they they can be given uh, the wrong reasons for them, and whoever gets the blame, those children will start blaming you as well. Uh, That's how they use the the ecological uh, indoctrination, the religion in school, to show uh, that the big boys are the bad boys. But what they don't tell them is that the big boys want the controlled society, the controlled world. Uh, the big boys never lose. When the UN takes over a biosphere, for instance, or guess what? So under the UN treaties, uh, the big corporations get the first dibs to go in and mine or whatever else they're supposed to do. It actually cuts out all competition for the favorite ones at the top. It's like free trade, too. Free trade is not free trade for every little corporation or company. It's really a restrictive uh, trade to do with the big boys. They get so the big international corporations can have unrestricted free trade. Everything has a double a double meaning. It's double think, in fact, we live in, where nothing really is as, it's, is as it seems to be. Definitely, it's never as it's presented to the public. So the idea to train youth for the um, upcoming generation, up the upcoming lifestyle that they will be trained into with its changes started very early in school. That was the old Marxian idea. Bypass the older ones who have a bit of wisdom, they've caught on to the cons, they go on in life with politicians 
uh, they found out eventually that it'll take 20 years before the truth of any major event is given to the public, which is generally vastly different from the reasons given at the time. So rather than trying to brainwash all the adults, uh, you go for, always go for the youth and program them for the changes they are planned to experience in their lifetime and accept it all as quite natural and normal. It's no, I always, it's no coincidence they used uh, sociologists and psychologists and behavioral psychologists to minutely study the dictatorships of the past to see why it worked so well uh, and the types of people that it affected, who were the, the really ardent followers. They found the same thing with, with some religions, early religions. It was a youth who were idealistic. It's those ones that you go for. And, of course, dictators also know that that's what you go for. You appeal directly to the youth, uh, and, and uh, they will worship you like a movie star or a pop star, whatever. And that's what you do. You build up an image of that person is superhuman and they're looked up to, admired. I watched a, a documentary not long ago that someone sent me on a disc because I can't watch anything on video here because of ExploreNet's cutting me back all the time until I'm crawling. I'm paying the same price for high speed, which I never get. But anyway, some people send me discs of things and there was one of China, a very good documentary uh, in different uh, sections going through the phases of uh, the communist regime in China with Mao Zedong and how he was worshipped by teenagers when he was an old man. And it was the same phenomena where one young girl uh, said that she shook his hand and he showed her when she was young shaking his hand and she said she never washed that hand for about a week because it touched the famous, this godlike creature. It's the same phenomena which was used. Same thing with Elvis Presley. He used to wipe the sweat off his brow and uh, toss the handkerchiefs into the audience, and they'd fight to get it. They'd fight to get it. One of them enclosed them in a glass case, so it would always contain that sweat. You know, uh, That's what you see with people who want to worship people. So this technique and this phenomena is used to its maximum in school, where the youngsters are given their ecological heroes like Al Gore. You elevate a person up. They've got to elevate a person up on the world stage. A stage that you must understand in show business is understood to be an altar. It's an altar. You're up there above the rest. You're elevated on the altar. And a lot of forces come into play when youngsters and older people see someone elevated up on that stage. They're unaware of these forces, but they stem from religious forces as well and very archaic um, uh, methods of behavior we automatically fall into. So therefore, they give you the heroes to follow. And when that hero speaks, whatever he said will be taken as the absolute gospel truth by the youngsters. And that's why, as I say, Al Gore and others, uh, an ex-vice president who always reminds the children I'm ex-vice president. That's like saying that I was I, I was the, the, the right-hand man to uh, the Messiah. Literally is to a child. And that technique is used to the advantage of those who brainwash the up-and-coming youth into a stage that they will never listen to any parents. They'll never listen to any other opinion, any contrary opinion. And they'll be devout and even fanatical followers 
that will come out of them to carry on the agenda. Uh, Beria talked about this. Uh, Beria was the head of the NKVD uh, in the Soviet Union in the early days. And in 1934, at the International Communist Meeting, the common term where the communist parties from all over the world went to attend, he said that it used to take a generation to indoctrinate what we call today setting a trend in motion, like a meme, and, and it, it flows and flows and gathers momentum like a wave. It, takes, it used to take 70 years, he said, a generation, that's why we class a uh, generation then, to introduce the planned change that would manifest like a wave in 70 years' time. He said, now, this is in 34, with scientific indoctrination through schooling, we can introduce changes every five year, major changes, because it already worked in the categories of age groups in turn. And he said, eventually, we'll be able to change them much quicker, introduce them even every year, maybe even in months. Well, we're at that phase today. With scientific indoctrination, like any big script, where you introduce five-year plans, 10, 15, 20, and so on, with every induction of kindergarten children, what they're getting taught is a little bit more advanced as to what they will experience in their lifetime than the ones who were inducted a year before. It's that precise. That's what Bertrand Russell talks about in Education and the Good Life, one of the books that he wrote about for the, the World Socialist Controlled Society. It's quite fascinating, and people are, are unaware of it. They're unaware of the, uh, like Bernays talks about, the unconscious factors which motivate them. But those who understand those unconscious factors can manipulate you like a puppet to your behavior, your mannerisms, uh, the terminology you'll pick up and use automatically, to the opinions that you will get into arguments over and and literally be angry. You might have a fight over them, and they're not even your own. You won't even come to that understanding. That's the incredible macabre beauty of these sciences. They're, they're very effective. Most people don't get their opinions through logical, critical thinking. If you use logical, critical thinking... You will, uh, you will question all data given through schooling and elsewhere to see if it follows a logical pattern. Very few folk will do that today. We, we are, we, we're downloaded. It's like an osmosis, really. We learn by osmosis. It's, it's given to us. It sinks down the levels of propaganda into us and we parrot. And because we are a social creature, as they all know, People don't like to be different from other people. Even the rebels in society, the youth who are trying to find their identity, you'll see the ones who want to adapt and go for the good careers. They used to call them mods many years ago, the mods, the moderns, because that's what they were called, those who believed in the modernistic view of society, like H.G. Wells, long before the mods came along. And the rockers, the ones who were the rebels, and uh, didn't drive on scooters, they drove on motorbikes and wore leather, and they were the bad boys. Even the uniforms that you wear to be bad are given to you by the same um, people who design your culture industry, your drama, your entertainment, your your music, um, and as I say, right down to the fashion and the fashionable way to dress, to rebel. 
I used to laugh when you see them with the baggy pants and hats on backwards. And wherever you went, you'd see this. They showed you a documentary years ago on television where you would see the same thing all the way to Africa because people were falling into the classification of how they identi- or what they identified with. They didn't realize this is all given to you. All given to you. The same techniques, you understand, were used when, when dictators come into power. Hitler had his brown shirts. They were the bad boys. Everybody was terrified of the bad boys. You know. Again, as I say, the Bernays of this world and different ones understand all these techniques perfectly. And it's far deeper than even Bernays expounded to the public. He knew far more. He'd been taught by experts long, long before him, from childhood, by the way. And there are whole massive departments working for governments doing the same. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I, I generally don't plan anything to say at night. It just comes to me and I was, had these ideas just tossing around in my head, just waiting for the call to start the show. And uh, it's so evident to me how generations are used in turn for the pre-planned agenda, something that was written a long time ago. And you really do come to understand you're living through a script Incredible propaganda powers are used and have been used my whole life long before me to guide this world along a planned path to the this sort of collectivist socialist society run by the big um, elitists at the top, the, the richest people on the planet. And that's what's so deceptive from, for people who've been indoctrinated in particular doctrines such as communism and fascism and so on. They don't realize that they're all funded from the same source. And the system they're, coming, they're bringing in, and I've got articles here from some of the big boys. It is a collectivist system. Look into the Club of Rome. They talk about it. They preferred, after looking at all the systems that were used across the world in history, they preferred the collectivist system. They're talking about a socialist system where the state makes all your decisions for you. Some of them have actually said that, like Arthur Kessler. He said that you won't need to think anymore. The state will be doing, making all your decisions for you. Well, we were already there with so many government agencies and more expanding all the time and being created all the time to take more powers away from the average person. And from birth to death in a socialist controlled society, you'll be run with a massive bureaucracy. And above all this collectivist socialist system, you'll have the ultra elite living, the richest people on the planet, and a, and a completely different lifestyle than you could ever even imagine, beyond your imagination. And we have to understand that to see where all this is being uh, all, uh, we're all being led and, and for all the followers that help it along without even realizing where it's going they think they do that's the beauty of indoctrination in the big con you think you know where it's going because you've been trained to think that and you become the bitterest enemy of the totalitarian regime once it's there as you find out that your, your utopia hasn't actually materialized and that's when they come down and smash you 
That's how the Soviets did it. They used what they called the ultra-liberals. They're always talking about more and more freedoms, more liberty, etc. Uh, they used them to bring down countries. And once the Soviets took over, they eliminated those ones because they were the biggest problem. They were the ones who were used to standing up and shouting and yelling for, we want rights and so on. And once they got the system in, it was all to, to destroy the idealistic system, the idealism that you have in you of what your nation is. That's what the liberals were used for, to destroy all the premises that you stood for. And it gave you an idealistic idea of your country. Destroy the idealism, destroy the culture, and then this, that you bring in the, the Sovietized, world Sovietized system, by the way. And then you destroyed those liberals who led it because they won't be happy when they realized they're going to be run by the big boot in the face, as George Orwell called it. Uh, now, there's a caller on the line, and it's this Charles from Toronto. Uh, I think I'll take him now. Is Charles there? Yes, Alan. Uh, how are you this evening? Not too bad. I've got a couple of uh, questions for you on religion and mind control. Mm-hmm. The first one is... Uh, is there a book or series of books that describe the elite's religion? Now, you have many times said that it is uh, some ways like Hinduism. Well, it is, in fact, uh, very much like Hinduism. And, and remember, you can't put all of the elite into the same basket. They are allowed to, le- to really believe uh, as a side issue in other areas or other types of religions. Their main religion together is one of superiority through um, a Darwinistic determination That's their main one They're allowed to go further than that In their own little ways if they want to It's a harmless distraction you might say But they believe firmly that. Uh, and H.G. Wells wrote about this In his two books The, the Outline of History He, he uh, classified the different categories of people uh, Into eugenic uh, settings And levels for, for inferior, mediocre, etc., all the way up to uh, superior. And the ones who've got up there through uh, whatever means possible, they don't care, actually, if, if they slaughtered their way up, through, like the old feudal families, or if they, were, they got up through uh, counting the money, be very, very shrewd or ripping folk off, as long as they got up there and then became respectable and held on to that power that money brings you for at least three or four generations by Darwinian standards, you have proven your right to rule the lessers, the ones. And that's what they mean by that, too. They say that what they've said in some of their books is that the evolutions and at the present state of or condition of humanity took place a long time ago. And therefore, they are obviously the ones who had jumped through the great jump or, or the great uh, the crossed over the great divide. They jumped to a higher standard of evolution than the rest of the peasantry. So they promote it. Now, when you go into Darwinism, uh, Darwin starts off with uh, the, the, the amoebas, the slime and all the rest of it, with this innate need to evolve into something better and bigger and all the rest of it. Uh, that's that's based on Hinduism because when you go into the religions of Hinduism, they also have the same philosophy that everything started with slime and eventually little living matter uh, was came out of it and evolved and evolved and evolved. Uh, that's the whole theory of of, of the Brahmanistic um, worldview. Yeah. Great. I've got a second question for you. I hear the- yeah, hold, hold on. Uh, the music's there, and I'll come back after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix, talking to Charles from Toronto. Are you still there, Charles? Yes, yes, Alan. Uh, my second question is, um, uh, re- religion, I agree, over the long haul is used to control people and goes back for many ages. But in your opinion, are the originators of the religions in on the scam or are they divinely inspired? I, th- well, I can tell you one thing. Uh, from Blavatsky, Madame Blavatsky in the 1800s onwards, uh, there's no doubt uh, they were put there. They were put there to uh, create a new religion. In fact, she said in her own book that that uh, her job or the job of theosophy, which was a blend of Freemasonry, and yeah, she was given a Masonic charter, by the way, eventually um, to to exist in, as theosophy. Um, she said their job is to prepare the future uh, for a blending of the Eastern religion. She meant India primarily with that of the West. And she said also that that her ultimate goal was to blend spirit with science, spirit with science, which is a very interesting statement because uh, when you we're in an age now where they're talking about brain interfaces and chips and all the rest of it, it's, uh, I think this is a very old plan. And they had incredible faith in science in the 1800s. They, They really believed that they would become godlike and when you look at H.G. Uh, Wells's uh, Things to Come, uh, and the movies especially show that too, in the movies there's even a race of scientists who see themselves as, again, more evolved than the peasants all down below. And uh, that's all to do with the evolutionary theory of Darwin once again. Now, people in all areas of the world have religions and always have had religions because we are as people, human beings, religious people. Part of it is a, is a need to reach out to something which you know or you suspect is there because no theory explains uh, the wonders of everything at all. There's no theory out there can do it. Even Darwin admitted that with all the knowledge they had and all the theories that they had, uh, if they took books and books and books of all these theories, including his own, threw them into a laboratory, uh, an eye still not would make itself from all those books. So, um, but that wasn't the intent of Darwinism. Darwinism was, was a, a deliberate intent, pre-planned again, to destroy the existing religion, to bring in a secularized society where we would be obedient to uh, the new scientific gurus as gods. And that was what happened. Remember, Charles Darwin's uh, grandfather also wrote a book about evolution. Um, his father did as well. Uh, Darwin himself, belonging to the Royal Society, was eventually put forward. And, and he used all of Wallace's um, theories. And it's now admitted um, the Royal Society now give Wallace equal credence with Darwin. He should have been at the head because Darwin took all of his theories to put them forward. But the intent, as I say, was to elevate science over religion for, the, for an age of what they called reason, but also for an age where those with the proper intelligence, the proper breeding, uh, would guide society rather than this, this um, wishy-washy way that they claimed that, that religions had run peoples before. 
So regardless, though, people always have a need to look beyond this. The scientists will always come out and tell you, especially the, the Darwinists, uh, that uh, it's our inability to explain the phenomena of the universe and our own existence that, that forms the need in us to look for an answer within religion. That's their way of downplaying it. Uh, but uh, with all their theories, for, it's, it's amazing even with medicine, for instance. A hundred years ago, uh, you'd be bled for anything that was wrong with you. Maybe even for hemorrhage, they'd bleed you. But whatever was wrong with you, they'd bleed you. And it was all quackery. Same in veterinary science. Um, they had fantastic potions that they'd brew in front of you and mix some copper sulfate and watch wonderful stuff fizz and change color. And that's what impressed you. But really what it did for you was pretty well nothing, although it might kill you. Um, we, we, we've seen marketing elevate pharmacology to an incredible degree where every drug that comes out is the wonder drug. Uh, Prozac did that too. There was, there was millions went into the marketing of it. Every paper ran with it because they all look for, for the scientists as the new gods to give us all the cures. Well, they haven't given us a cure for anything. Yes, it's just uh, it's a lot of confusion. Even the, uh, even the scientists, if you listen to them today, say that quantum theory is so complicated that nobody can understand it. So... It's, uh, it's beyond uh, the realm of um, understanding. So That's right. And even, even Hawkins came out and said that uh, Einstein didn't even understand all of the theories that were up to make the quantum theory. So in other words, it, it's, it's how many angels can stand on, on the head of a pin. It's back to the same thing. There's no difference with the, with the scientists. They, they go through their fads and then they leave their fads behind as they get a new theory or fad given to them. And this, this, is, this is amazing with science and medicine, too, is they keep changing their minds about things and, and uh, tossing theories out, but never saying they were wrong. By the, it's like the IPCC at the UN. They never say they're wrong. Uh, they just quietly stop mentioning one part that's come to disgrace and, and carry on as though nothing had happened. That's the nature of professions that take over. Now, any religion... This, this existed in the past on a tribal level, uh, generally it was part of the social structure as well. It gave people the rules so they could live with, with each other without killing each other in close confinement often and got them through the tough times. When religion becomes uh, formalized into institutions uh, over generations then and you get the same generations of elite going into them at the head, then it becomes corrupt, obviously, like any government. Any government, too, even that starts off with great intentions, becomes corrupt after in about the second, third generation. That's standard as well. People, yeah. Yeah. People who want control. The thing that always impressed me about spirit and science is I would, I would suggest the uh, three greatest scientific minds of the last 500 years would be uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, and Albert Einstein, and all of them had a deep belief in God. I wouldn't believe in them at all, to be honest with you. Really? No, not at all. I mean, Einstein was classified, and this is the history books, as a, as a dummy at school. His parents were very wealthy in Switzerland. They got him a job in the uh, patenting department. And the, the, the patenting department is there not to just put patents through. But as you know, the war industry runs everything. And anybody who came up with a good idea uh, was to actually steal their ideas. And his reward for, for being a good... Uh, person in that department and passing stuff on to his bosses was to be, we'll make you a famous scientist. He could never, he never gave a lecture publicly at all and everybody who interviewed him, including C.P. Snow, said all he ever talked about was international Zionism, 
and and uh, a, a, a world run by scientific elitism. That's how it should be. He couldn't discuss anything without his notes there on a scientific basis. And if you go back into the other ones, to Isaac Newton, I mean, the guy was quite the character. He never left Cambridge, you know. He didn't like women at all. Uh, he was bringing over, I think it was Fabio from Italy to live with, and he cracked up at the last minute in case of the scandal it was, would cause uh, when they had to eventually, when he died and they, and, uh, uh, they emptied out his rooms. Uh, he was into alchemy and, and Kabbalah. That was, that's where he was getting everything from, all his ideas, Kabbalah. They were, these guys were not Christians by any, any, any possible means. And I, I also think it's very, very true, like Jack Zatali said, or Jack Elul said, he said the idea of bringing forth uh, famous people, whether it's actors or scientists, to give opinions on political uh, uh, venues is, is said is, is no different than bringing forth your plumber, your carpenter, or the person who rings the till at your grocery store, because they know no more about it than they do. We're more, we're more enthralled by their status than their knowledge. But thanks for calling. Uh, thanks for calling, and I'll go on to the next caller. There's Vince from London. Are you there, Vince? Hi there. Yes. Uh, hi, Alan. How are you doing? Not so bad. Okay. Yeah, Isaac Newton, uh, I have to disagree with you on that one. That's okay. Yeah. Well, he created something called laws. I mean, they're, they're actually provable. Yeah, but he did, he wasn't the first one to come up with these laws, you understand. You understand it's, it's no different than today is who grabs something first, who gets the acclaim for it. The same scandal, as I say, happened exactly. He was denounced by all his, all his peers, all his contemporaries. I mean, he, he actually went back and became a, a, um, a, a bureaucrat because... He wasn't a bureaucrat. His reward was getting put in charge of the Royal Mint, which was a darn cushy job and very well-paying. It was a bureaucrat job, though, isn't it? It's not. He didn't do anything. I mean, it's like getting appointed to the head of some commission, you know. Uh, you got to understand, every country will elevate the main characters they give you as famous people. Uh, what surprises me, too, is when you go into, say, Russia... Uh, they were teaching through the Soviet era that, that so-and-so Popov or whoever invented the television set. Uh, another guy was the first guy to, to fly an aircraft. Uh, this character, uh, who's Russian, uh, was a creator of electricity. Every country has, has this sort of thing going on. Now, it's, it's like the future. This takes you 10 years down the road when they have this whole thing set up and, and rolling, steam rolling forward with the environment, population reduction, all of that kind of stuff. And then they'll, they'll elevate for future generations. Al Gore was, 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 was the genius, the genius behind it. And, and, and that's what will be taught in the schools. And they'll, they'll write, they'll get writers who come out writing screeds of fantasy about them that become dogma. And, and that's the reality of the world that we live in. I mean, they, they, you know, they call Newton's theories are called laws. I mean, they're the laws of motion, they're laws of gravity. Yeah. You know, these don't call global warming a law. I mean, it's, it's soft science. It's just, it's just they, you shouldn't even really call them theories, you know. In, in truth, they're just hypotheses. They're not even hypotheses. It's not even a hypothesis. You see, it's an agenda. It's an agenda. This, the idea of to, what's happening today was dreamed up by commissions and committees at the Club of Rome 
back in the early 70s. And they wrote about it in their own book. They, they take a claim for coming up with this idea. Yeah, but I wouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know what I mean? Um, science is, there is hard science, and there's often, you know, you have to discriminate. But begin to understand, science is, is like, um, which, which doctor do you want to believe in, you see? I mean, that's what it is. That's what science is. Right, right now, that's exactly where science... We haven't been a scientific society for very long. We don't know we don't know enough to make these incredible statements. There are television sets and there are the units internet. But what we do have what we do have are big massive foundations uh, putting up multi billions of bucks to bring in a planned society, a planned future, using the guise of global warming to bring it around and to make us give up rights, freedoms and all the rest to change our behaviour. And as I say, the Club of Rome was a top think tank for the UN in their own book, the founders wrote their own book on it called The First Global Revolution, and they published it in the 1990s. And in there they said that they were given the, 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 the um, task of finding a way to unite the whole world under a common cause, going in a common direction, to enter a collectivist society. And they said... They came up with the idea of, we came up with the idea of global warming, famines, and there were scary things. Now, I mean, the things that I'm interested in, that I wanted to bring up, the things that don't really get talked about, you know, that, yeah. I don't know, I've just been a bit bothered the last couple of weeks. I mean, you, there's actually something you said about Abraham Lincoln, talking mm-hmm. to Omar. Well, it's not my, don't blame me for saying something that's in the, the congressional records in the U.S., that, that Karl Marx actually... But it just triggered something off, you know, just like, well... Karl Marx did telegraph Lincoln and congratulates him uh, for defeating the South because the, the, one of the planks of the manifesto was a strong, basically totalitarian, centralized government, and Lincoln had established and achieved that. Before Lincoln, they didn't have this incredibly powerful centralized government. In fact, the Confederation had so many things written into the Constitution. The Confederation... That's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Can we get, can I get to, the, to the nitty-gritty? It's this thing called the Constitution, because we know that everything is falling apart. I mean, yeah, yeah. And it's happening here in Britain. So, I mean, there's nothing here on the radio that I can find, so I, I tend to listen to everything in America. Uh-huh. And all I ever hear is the same thing, Constitution, Constitution. We've yeah. got to get back to the Constitution on here. Oh, you know, we get Ron Paul in and everything. We can get back and everything will be right and mm-hmm. it will be great again, you know, all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's winding me up, basically. And, and can we just talk about the Constitution? Because you can Google it and you get a picture of it. Yeah. There on, you know, and it says there in massive letters, we the people. Yeah. I mean, is that a collectivist statement or what? It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a collectivist to the extent that for the first time in history, um, again, this is a standard version I'm giving you, uh, it's for the first time in history where they'd actually sat down and wrote out a charter of rights, basically, uh, along with the Bill of Rights. Now, the Bill of Rights came from the ordinary folk who protested the founding fathers, like, like as I say, there's a difference between, between a rebellion and a revolution. In a revolution, you have a pre-planned agenda using revolt first, but you also know who you're going to take the revolt through stages into a new society, which is then revolution, you see. 
most of them will rebel and then go back. That's a history of even Britain with the, the levelers and the peasants' revolts and all the rest of it. Uh, they wanted to, to go back to a time when things were better, a little bit better than the unbearable situation they'd come to. The founding fathers of America, uh, once they had, they had won or been granted their, their, their independence, basically, um, wanted to copy, model it on almost a British system, uh, the, the, including how much land you should have you to vote. British, and then put in a, a British system. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so really, uh, and, and people have really questioned that. Did they simply bring in another appendage of Britain under a guise? Um, but, but, but really, yeah, because initially the, the Washington and these guys didn't think the ordinary person uh, had the intellectual or educational capacity to make the correct kind of votes. Um, and so they wanted you to have own X amount of land before you even had the right to vote or run for, for Congress. And there was a big law to do about that. Uh, people don't realize there were rebellions right after that within the United States in some places as folks saw what was coming and what was getting set up. So in a sense, the U.S. went back, whereas the French Revolution, which again was a collectivist revolution with an agenda and with people behind it at the top who knew they were going to bring it into a true revolution from a rebellion uh, into what became the basis of, of, of the communistic, socialistic system. And that's what Karl Marx studied. But the U.S., as I say, um, at one point they even uh, wrote to the descendants of... Uh, uh, the Stuart dynasty, who was in Italy at the time, asking if he was maybe interested in being the king. They even thought of making him the king of America. You know. But, uh, but thanks for calling. I'll be back after this break. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, and we've got Maggie from Texas on the line. You're there, Maggie. Hello, Maggie. Uh, hello, Alan. Yes. Uh, the other day, I listened to a guest on another program, and he was combining space-age flying saucer-type technology with alien stories and wrapping it all in religion. And uh -huh. he went on, he went on and on about aliens, good aliens, bad aliens, real aliens, false aliens, uh -huh. robot aliens, you know. And, and illegal aliens. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, he did not mention those. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, he went, he went on, uh, long beyond the point where ordinarily I just flipped the channel, but because he was also talking about religion, um, Old Testament and earlier, I, I kept listening for a while thinking maybe I could learn something of value, and I decided to ask you, mm. since you are a scholar of religion, uh, first, what do, you, what do you really think of this aliens idea? Who do you believe... Um, was the first to introduce it in religion, identifying them as specifically as travelers from space or from the stars. And mm -hmm. what do you think inspired that story? Oh, okay, I'll tell you, it's quite good because John Dewey was the first one to, to say that in a major speech. Really? John Dewey, yeah. He said... He said, if you just, uh, the way to you, remember the whole thing was collectivist world plan society around the time of the League of Nations. 
And he said, if, if we could only uh, show that we were getting invaded from, uh, with an ex- external extraterrestrial enemy, the world would come together and unite as one. Uh, another person who said it was Lester B. Pearson. And Lester B. Pearson became the Prime Minister of Canada. He was also the head of the UN at one point. He drafted up the UN Charter with Alger Hiss. Are you saying that there is no precedent for it in ancient religion? Because this guy was coming up with stuff out of it. No, I'll tell you what. They they started with Eric von Daniken. They came out. uh, He was launched a long time ago by David Frost. And uh, Eric von Daniken eventually was exposed with all these uh, space aliens and stuff. And the guy on the sort of cosmic motorcycle uh, and all this stuff that he was churning. Chariots of the Gods was his first one. He was exposed because a British journalist sent, he went over to South America, Mexico, found the guy that was making all these stellas that uh, Daniken was claiming were ancient. He was only paying the guy, the guy 10, 10 pesos each, you know, for this, and making a fortune, so he was a con man. They've never stopped this stuff, but here's what Lester B. Pearson said from the United Nations, 1957. I've got it from the original paper here, by the way, the Globe and Mail. It says, uh, perhaps there is a hopeful possibility uh, here in the conquest of outer space. It says, interplanetary activity may well give us planetary peace. Once we discover Martian spaceships hovering over Earth's space, we will all come together. Uh, and we will say, how dare they threaten us like this? We shall shout as one at a really united nations. That's Canadian diplomat Lester uh, Pearson, Nobel Peace Prize lecturer, given in December '57, he he was the he drafted up the the constitution for the UN with Alger Hiss and became Prime Minister of Canada. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. So, do you think then? I gather you think that the people who are coming up with this stuff are in, uh, disinformation agents. I would say absolutely, absolutely so. Plus, it's a good way to rake in the cash from the people who who want that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have heard some people suggest that the giants in the earth uh, of the Old Testament might have been thought of as space aliens. Is that so or is that not so? Well, when we see their big, massive skeletons, remember, we've, uh, uh, there's one born every minute, and the guy who said that made uh, an artificial one, took it on a circus tour, and made lots of money. It was made of wax. Back with Monday nights, I'm Hamish myself and Chair Canada. It's good night to me. God, your God's go with you.